0: This episode is sponsored by Beautiful Bad, a gripping psychological thriller by Annie Ward. It's also the book that everyone is talking about. There are two sides to every story and every person in Beautiful Bad. Maddie and Ian's love story began with a chance encounter at a party overseas. Now, almost two decades later, married with a beautiful son, Charlie, they are living the perfect suburban life in middle America. But when a camping accident leaves Maddie badly scarred, she begins attending writing therapy, where she gradually reveals her fears about Ian's PTSD and her concerns for the safety of their young son. Sixteen years of love and fear, adventure and suspicion culminate in The Day of the Killing, when a frantic 911 call summons the police to the scene of a shocking crime. Annie Ward has a BA in English Literature from UCLA and an MFA in Screenwriting from the American Film Institute. Her first short screenplay, Strange Habit, starring Adam Scott, was an official selection of the Sundance Film Festival and the Grand Jury Award winner at the Aspen Film Festival. You can watch the book trailer at beautifulbadbook.com, and the book has received rave reviews from other authors in the genre. Mary Kubica, New York Times bestselling author of The Good Girl and When the Lights Go Out, has this to say. Annie Ward explores a battle-scarred marriage on the brink of disaster in this deft debut. As touching and thought-provoking as it is terrifying, Beautiful Bad will leave readers spellbound, a buzzworthy read. If you are a fan of An Anonymous Girl by Sarah Buchanan and Greer Hendricks and Fiona Barton's The Widow, You will love Beautiful Bad. You can order your copy today at beautifulbadbook.com. And thanks so much for sponsoring the show. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. In this episode, author Danielle Clayton and bookstore owner Roxanne Cody talk about the books that have stuck with them. Danielle Clayton is a former teacher and middle school librarian, the co-author of the Tiny Pretty Things series and the author of the Bells series, COO of We Need Diverse Books and co-founder of Cake Literary, a creative development company whipping up decidedly diverse books for a wide array of readers. Her latest YA series, The Bells, follows a young woman named Camellia with the talent to turn people beautiful, who gets sucked into court intrigue and must decide between saving herself and her sisters or changing the world. The second book in the series, The Everlasting Rose, will be released on March 5th of 2019.
1: My name is Danielle Clayton, and Passing by Nella Larson is my Recommended. It is about two women in the 1920s and 30s, two black women who have passed for white. And they are one of their old childhood friends and they get reunited. And one has completely left the black community and she has a white husband. And another, the other one has a black husband, but she only passes when she wants to have like a nice cup of tea at a fancy restaurant or to go get a brand new dress or hat from like a fancy department store where they don't allow uh, black American people to shop. It's about when they run into get each other again and realize that they were once connected. And it's all about the sort of the fallout of that and what it means to leave your community and what you miss and what you leave behind. It's a fas- it's fascinating. I actually took a black American lit course in undergrad and I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't know you could be a writer. I mean, I knew, but it wasn't like something for me. I thought I was just going to be a teacher and I took this class and it was the first time in the three years that I had been in college where I got to read books by black American people. And this was on the syllabus And I started reading it. And it's a very short book. It's short. It is just super, the language is super tight and condensed. And it just, it tore me up. It just was like, what? What? You know, the stakes were super high. You know, two childhood friends meet again. They had, you know what I mean, drifted apart. And under the circumstances, it's like a lens into sort of America. And so when we read The Great Gatsby in um, high school, this is the book that I would have rather read. Cause it's about the same time period, but it's about my community and I would have felt super connected to it. And it's fascinating because it gives you a slice of life, a slice of what life was like um, at that time and for uh, the racial dynamics and the legal racial dynamics. Uh, So it was college before I got this book and I just was, it bit me. It It just bit me. And I was like, this is amazing. I didn't know you could do this with a book, but it could be this concise and this good And it's stressful. (laughs) Sadly, I didn't get to read about myself uh, when I entered high school or even middle school. Um, I'd read all of the books that featured kids that looked like me. And then we had to start reading these adult literary classics and they were foisted down our throats. And it just became the same thing over and over and over again. And I just didn't connect with these sort of dead white men dealing with their stuff. <laughs> I just didn't. It didn't connect. When I got to this book, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is like terrifying because I have one woman, Claire, who's literally living on the edge. She's this very light skinned, elegant woman who's married to a racist white man who doesn't know that she's actually black. And then her childhood friend Irene is also light-skinned and can pass, but she remains in the black community and only does it sometimes. And you get them crashing into each other, and they have this chemistry between them. They also have the drama of both of them having the same set of cards, but they decide to play them differently. And it's a time period when which I'm always fascinated by, the 1920s and 30s, but I got to see myself. I got to see a slice of my community And that made me, it tethered me in a way that none of the other books had been able to do that. It just made me realize, okay, if I'm ever going to be a writer, if I do do this thing, I want to be a writer like her. I want to stress people out. (laughs) I want to make them be like, oh my gosh, just one more chapter. Oh my goodness. I have to just, I have to find out what happens to these two people. And they're not real people, but I felt like, like they were real. And so I wanted to do something like that, if I ever was going to become a writer. I try to reread it actually every year, and I reread it especially when I'm feeling like crap about my own writing, Um, because I'm a notorious overwriter. I get stressed out and I just feel like if I just write all the words and write too many words, then I'll feel safe. And this book is so precise and concise uh, with a precision of language, that it reminds me that you don't need a lot. You just need the emotional stakes, the physical stakes and how they mingle together. And it doesn't matter if it's 200,000 words or if it's 30,000 words, if you've gotten that piece and you have a voice of a character that is, that begs to be followed. And this character, um, Irene begs to be followed. You want to know what happens um, with her friend and with her and how she feels about her life, then you've got a good recipe for a good story. And I always struggle with my, I just put too much stuff in my stories. They just are bloated, everything in the kitchen sink, because that's how I sort of process. And I want to be more like Nella Larson, where I am, I use a precision of language, and I don't rely on being wordy, or verbose, or flowery. She didn't do any of that. And her book haunts the crap out of me. Whenever I do read it, I think I just notice or latch on to different things. Um, because I need different things. I'm going to it for a different purpose, usually every time. Sometimes it's like, oh, let me remember what it's like to write something that's great. That I'm never gonna write anything great like this, right? It's like I'm in a pity party, pity party mood and I read it and I'm like, Oh, look at this, it's brilliant. Or sometimes I read it to remind myself, oh, you don't need so many words. Um, you can be more precise. And then other times I read it because it's like coming home. It's like putting on like a cozy sweater and getting comfortable and reminding myself that stories are important and stories about brown women are super important. And so each time I think it gives me a different emotional nugget based on how I'm feeling. That's what home is for me. It's a place for me to feel protected and warm and comfortable, but it's also a place where I can work out my feelings and work out what I'm thinking. It's a refuge. Uh, and so I feel like books for me and books that really speak to me are a safe place for me to think about stuff that I don't want to think about outside in the world that I really want to wrestle with and and chew on chew on that fat, but in the comfort, like in a comfortable place. I mean, this is like a go-to book for me that I talk about all the time when given um, a microphone uh, and given the opportunity to say, okay, if we, if we're, if you're building your syllabus, but even just if you want to read something that that will rattle you a little bit, this is a book that rattles, and so that's sort of how how I frame it. And it's so simple; it's like only 150 or 160 pages, but it just it rattles you or it rattled me. And so that's how I frame it. I do recommend it a lot, but I, you know, I write for kids. So I'm constantly actually recommending more kids, kid books than anything else because they're the best books in the entire world as far as I'm concerned. And, but if I have to recommend an adult novel, um, you know, those adults, I will recommend James Baldwin and Nella Larson. They are my go-tos, uh, for, for recommendations, and especially Nella, Miss Nella. I just feel like I'm trying to chase her. (laughs) I'm chasing her with all my words. My suitcase is full of words when I really should just have a duffel bag. And and I'm hoping that at some point in my writing career that I write something that is sort of worthy of her prose, that I can challenge myself to be a little bit more condensed things and really, really just do what she did. If you haven't read this book, you gotta read it. It's short, it's wonderful. The prose is just great. Um, Yeah, it's my recommended. I
0: love it so much. (laughs) Thanks again to Danielle Clayton for joining us and recommending Passing by Nella Larson. The Bells, published by Disney Hyperion, is available for sale wherever books are sold, and the sequel, The Everlasting Rose, will be available on March 5th, 2019. You can find out more about her and her work by visiting Danielclayton.com. This episode of Recommended is sponsored by The Huntress by Kate Quinn. If you loved The Tattooist of Auschwitz, read The Huntress, says The Washington Post. It's already been named one of Marie Claire's best women's fiction books and one of BookBub's biggest books of the year. From the author of the New York Times and USA Today best-selling novel, The Alice Network, comes a fascinating new historical novel about a battle-haunted English journalist and a Russian female bomber pilot who joined forces to track The Huntress, a Nazi war criminal gone to ground in America. This is a fascinating new historical novel about a search for a mysterious Nazi assassin known only as the Huntress, and it takes you from the remote reaches of northern Russia, across Polish and German battlefields, and finally to post-World War II Boston, and will keep you captivated every step of the way. Kate Quinn's previous historical novel, The Alice Network, was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick and has already sold over one million copies. So again, if you enjoy great historical fiction, you will love The Huntress by Kate Quinn, and that is now available wherever books are sold. Thanks so much to The Huntress by Kate Quinn for sponsoring the show. Roxanne Cody is the owner of RJ Julia, one of the leading independent bookstores in the United States, which was named Best Independent Bookstore by Publishers Weekly magazine. She's also the founder of Just the Right Book, the largest online personalized Book of the Month subscription service, and Read to Grow, Inc., which promotes development of early literacy and language skills, working to give all Connecticut children tools for success in reading. Read to Grow provides books for newborns and children and encourages parents to read to their children from birth and has distributed over 1.5 million books. In Just the Right Book podcast, she helps you discover new books and your next read in all genres, gives you unique insights into your favorite authors, and brings you up to date with what's happening in the literary world. I'm
2: Roxanne Cody, and Don't Let Me Down by Erin Hozier, A Memoir is My Recommendation. So Erin grew up in rural Ohio in the 70s. Her parents were a little bit, they were kind of hippies, but What they were, what they became, were Christian evangelicals, fundamentalists, and her dad was prone to violence. So it's a memoir talking about growing up in a complicated house, how you respond to those things. And then it has an instance, it has a number of instances where she was um, sexually harassed and how you dealt with it in those days and what were the ramifications. So it's about her journey in dealing with who her parents were, how she emerged from that, how she could or couldn't forgive them. And then parallel to that is this really wonderful story about her mom. And her mom was the one who first brought religion into the house and was very subordinate to her dad, and over time became independent and accomplished in a way that was inspiring for Erin. And it's, it's sort of a, a separate part of the story, but what I particularly loved about the book is I love Erin's spirit, and she is hilarious. Betsy Lerner, who's a good friend and a well-known literary agent and an author herself, recommended Erin's book to me. Well, so this is a funny story. Uh, Well, this is a story of how it happened. I was going to California on a Friday, and I knew I was um, going to be interviewing Erin on a Tuesday. And I had two books by an Erin in my house, and I picked up the wrong book. And I read it and it was fun enough, but not not what I would have thought was worthy of Betsy's recommendation. So then I looked at my notes and I realized I had the wrong book. So when I got home from California on uh, Tuesday late in the evening, I had to read two books at once. One was I was interviewing Madeleine Albright, on Thursday, and I needed, and I was interviewing Aaron on Friday. So I got home from the airport at about midnight, and sort of shuffled my suitcase on the side, and I figured, okay, I know Aaron's book is going to be a absorbing, can't put down, both enlightening and funny read. I'm going to have at it. So it was about... 1230 or one in the morning. (laughs) And I started reading it. And I have to say, as tired as I was, I was happy to be reading it. Her father was a music aficionado and fanatic. And the Beatles is an underlying theme in the book. And in fact, each chapter is named after a Beatles song. So the chapters are called A Day in the Life, Blackbird, Cry Baby Cry, Two of Us, Carry That Weight, Run for Your Life, She's Leaving Home, I'm a Loser, Come Together. And the last uh, chapter is called Let It Be, uh, which is about uh, coming to grips with her dad. And actually, I think what I'm going to do is read that because I really love that. I had my dad for all those years, and I didn't know that they would end just as my life was getting good, that it would force me to grieve for everything he never taught me and everything he did. Even with all that's happened, even after so much analysis and pain, I forgive my father. I like to believe that had he lived, he would have asked me to, and I would have asked him right back. I'll keep listening to the albums he passed on to me, And in that way, we'll continue our conversation. It's taken me a lifetime to figure out how to receive it. But I still believe that the love that matters is the one you give. Don't you love that idea that your um, conversation continues with someone you lost through the albums that they recommended? Or for a lot of us, it's the books. I love that idea of continuing the conversation with someone no longer with you. I tend to be, lately, a heavy nonfiction reader. Um, And the reasons, I I think it's changing a little bit, Uh, but I tend to, I really like biographies. I really like history. I really like current issues. Not not the books like um, about, uh, you know, all the Trump presidency books or, or that, but I'm interested—I in, loved Madeleine Albright's book on fascism. Uh, I loved the biography of Frederick Douglass. So I gravitate towards nonfiction, and part of what I have found, or last year my mood was— I picked up a lot of fiction that I didn't finish. I thought, I'm not reading a story that feels new or different. And so I think last year I I finished one out of 10 fiction books and eight out of 10 nonfiction books. And so that's the trend. For instance, I just finished a fiction book called My Sister the Serial Killer, So I loved My Sister the Serial Killer. That felt to me like a different energy, a different story. It was very dark humor. And those are the kinds of books that, if they're fiction, I find myself gravitating to now. I think that this book will stick with me because of Erin's narrative voice. There's a kind of a wildness about her, and a kind of a humor, and a kind of resilience that attracted me to her as a person. And therefore, that voice is a little bit in my head. I'm the opposite of wild. I'm maybe funny on my best day, but. I, I love that sensibility. I love that sensibility, and I admired it. And therefore, I think her voice will stay in my head. One of the disappointments of having grown R.J. Julia's to uh, the size that it's at is I don't wait on customers as much as I like to. And so my elevator pitches tend to be in print or as I'm walking through the floor in the bookstore and recommend it. So I I haven't developed a pitch for it, except to say, you know, the shorthand of, I promise you, you'll be happy if you read this book, which is sometimes all anybody needs to know. I think this book is good for a memoir reader, a music fan, a uh, fiction reader, yeah, I would say it's good for any fiction or memoir reader and and is an easy read, meaning you're not going to get bogged down in details that are not pertinent to the story. There's a real speed and rhythm about the book. So I would say, yes, it's the kind of book that I could see a broad type of reader enjoying. <laughs>
0: Thanks again to Roxanne Cody for joining us and recommending Don't Let Me Down by Aaron Hosier. You can find out more about Cody and Just the Right Book at justtherightbook.com. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear the feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com.